The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 15, Of Repentance Unto Life, Paragraphs 5 and 6. Men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavour to repent of his particular sins, particularly. Paragraph 6. As every man is bound to make private confession of his sins to God, praying for the pardon thereof, upon which, and the forsaking of them, he shall find mercy. So he that scandalizes his brother, or the church of Christ, ought to be willing by a private or public confession, and sorrow for his sin, to declare his repentance to those that are offended, who are thereupon to be reconciled to him, and in love to receive him. Paragraph 15 of the Westminster Confession deals with repentance unto life, And we've already discovered in these episodes that repentance unto life is an evangelical grace, where a sinner understands his sin, understands who he is before a holy God, and understands that he must be forgiven. The repentant sinner runs to Jesus, grieving for their sin, hating their sin, and turning unto God. And indeed, repentance unto life causes the sinner to take a new direction, where they purpose and endeavour to walk before God in all the ways of his commandments. And last time out, we heard that repentance, whilst of vital necessity to a sinner, is not to be rested in. Instead, repentance lifts its eyes and looks unto Jesus. And we understand as well that every sin, as tiny as it may seem, reserves damnation, but also the size of God's grace is beyond our comprehension, because there is no sin too great, that can bring damnation upon us if we repent of it. So we've understood what repentance is. We've understood its importance for the sinner to repent before a holy God. But today, as the chapter comes to an end, the Westminster Divines help us to understand how we are to repent. Paragraph 5, therefore, speaks of a general and also a particular repentance. It's important to note that paragraph 5 does not rule out general repentance. It is not making it seem like the lesser of the two. General repentance is necessary. It's just that we should not content ourselves with it. What is a general repentance? Well, quite simply, when we come on to the Lord and we say to him, Father, I have sinned greatly today. Please forgive me. There is nothing wrong with this statement. If the sinner comes before the Lord, meaning it, truly repenting of their sins, then they will find mercy. There is nothing wrong with general repentance. 
However, the divines go on to speak that it is necessary also for the sinner to repent of his particular sins, particularly, or in other words, when we come to the Lord and perhaps we repent generally, we also understand and are burdened by our anger that day and we repent of our anger particularly. Or perhaps we understand that our particular sin that we struggle with is lust. Perhaps it is greed and gluttony. Perhaps it is a love for money. Whatever it may be, it is every man's duty, say the Westminster Divines, to repent of our particular sins particularly. And I suspect that this is a great challenge for us all. It is, in a way, incredibly easy to repent generally. Sometimes we are all guilty of offering a light and frivolous general repentance kind of prayer. And God will forgive us because, after all, that's what he does. My friends, we need to understand and take repentance seriously. True general repentance before Almighty God will meet with his forgiveness. But also, it is our duty, our responsibility, to understand our particular sins and to pray unto the Lord that he would forgive us and that the Spirit would transform us. And I think the difficulty in particular repentance is that it requires us to search our hearts. It requires us to think about our lives. It requires us to do business in the depths of our soul. In a way, it is easy to say, Father, forgive me my sins, but it is much more difficult to say, Father, please forgive me the sin of my heart. Today I was angry against my wife for no reason. Today there was great hatred in my heart towards a brother or sister in Christ. Today I did not treat my parents the way I should have. Today, Lord God, I was economical with the truth when I should have just been clear and honest and that would have honoured you. It is much more difficult to particularly repent. But as we take repentance onto life seriously, we will generally repent and we will particularly repent. We will do daily business with the Lord, asking him to bestow his mercy upon guilty sinners such as you and I. And the Westminster Divines don't pull particular repentance from the air. Of course, they see it in the scriptures. Psalm 19 and verse 13 has David repenting and urging the Lord to keep him back from his presumptuous sins. These are sins where David and indeed you and me don't even think about God. We don't even think about his holiness and we don't even consider that we have offended him. David prays particularly for this. He could say, Father, please forgive me all my sins. But he drills down into this issue and says, Lord, hold me back from the times that I don't even consider you. He prays particularly about this issue. And we see in Luke's Gospel in 19 and verse 8, Zacchaeus, he stands before the Lord Jesus and he says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus understands his depravity. He understands the sin that he is being forgiven. And he could simply say, Lord, please forgive me for my sins are many, but here he drills down into the issue of his heart. He has lied, he has cheated, he has stolen. And now he says, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Paul, writing to Timothy, drills down into the particular sins of his life. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, Formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, 
but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, verse 15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. David and Zacchaeus and Paul all pray particular prayers. They all repent of particular sins, particularly. And as I imagine today that most of you are like me, probably we are not very good at doing this. And so it is good to consider these things today and to strive unto the Lord to make a practice of regular, general and particular repentance. But before we move on, I simply want to remind you of what we said last week, that repentance should never be rested in. I'm aware that there is a temptation for us when we discuss general and particular repentance to place particular repentance at a higher level. And perhaps immediately your response to this today is to be thinking, I rarely repent particularly, and so I must improve in this area. What percentage do I have to strive for? Do my prayers of repentance need to be more particular and less general? My brothers and sisters, I would urge you not to run down that road. Our repentance is not to be rested in. What the Lord requires of us in our repentance is not a magic formula, a certain percentage general and a certain percentage particular. I could spend an hour praying particularly and not really mean a word of it. And you could spend 10 seconds with a broken heart crying unto the Lord a prayer of general repentance and it is received because your repentance has been true. So today, general repentance and particular repentance are both necessary. We should make a practice of both of them. And when we're tempted to make a spreadsheet of our progress, we also remember that we never rest in our repentance. So we've heard about the necessity of general and particular repentance. And as the Westminster Divines bring this chapter to a close, paragraph 6 introduces us to the necessity of private and public repentance. They begin this paragraph by stating, Every man is bound to make private confession of his sins to God, praying for the pardon thereof, upon which and the forsaking of them he shall find mercy. So how do we repent? Generally and particularly, and also privately. Here is the Christian life, keeping short accounts with the Lord, regularly coming before him and spending time in his presence, reading his word, praying unto him and crying out to him and asking that he would forgive us our multitude of sins. Every single day we make private confession of our sins to the Lord. We pray that he will pardon us and we understand that as we forsake them, as we run from them, we shall find mercy at the feet of the cross. We see this in the life of David in Psalm 51. He prays, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Here David cries unto the Lord in his private devotions, crying out for forgiveness, crying out that the Lord would hide his face from David's sins, that he would blot out all of David's iniquities. 
David prays privately. Psalm 32 shows us another example of this. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. Verse 5, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Here, David urges us to go and to find that quiet place, to speak unto the Lord, to do business with him, and to cry out and acknowledge our sin before him. It is as Proverbs 28 and 13 puts it, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And a similar verse in the New Testament in 1 John 1 and verse 9 tells us, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The believer who takes seriously repentance unto life will spend time each and every day confessing his or her sins privately. And as we do that, we cry out to God for mercy, and we know that as we forsake our sins, he will never forsake us, and we will find mercy. So far, so good, you might say. But I think just as particular repentance is often more difficult than general, then I believe that public repentance is always more difficult than private. It is public repentance that the Westminster Divines speak of as we continue. They state, in the case of one who scandalizes his brother or the Church of Jesus Christ, that individual ought to be willing, in private or public confession and sorrow for his sin, to declare his repentance to those that are offended, who are thereupon to be reconciled to him and in love to receive him. And so when our sin causes trouble to our brother or to the church of Christ, then we ought willingly and out of sorrow for it to repent. Now here the Westminster Divines don't say that such an individual has to stand up in the meeting house and repent publicly. No, the Divines here tell us that the individual who has scandalized his brother or the church of Jesus Christ can repent of it either privately or publicly. They ought to be willing by either a private or public confession. But what comes next is also that that individual must declare his repentance to those that are offended. Or in other words, if I have offended my brother and I repent of it privately, it isn't good enough for me just to stay at home with my private repentance there is a necessity placed upon me by the word of God to declare that repentance to the offended parties. A simple example. I have wounded my brother by my words. I repent of it privately. And the next time I see my brother, I tell him of my repentance and I beg him to forgive me. It is this that we are often incredibly not good at doing. And I certainly see myself in that number. Private repentance is always much easier than public repentance. But here is the plan mapped out for us by the Westminster Divines, who, as always, map out the plain teaching of Scripture. It is in the book of James, chapter 5 and verse 16, we're told, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And in Luke 17, verses 3 to 4, the Lord teaches us, 
Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, then you must forgive him. And so the onus here is placed on both parties. To the one who has brought offence to his brother or has scandalised the church of Jesus Christ, then he must repent, either privately or publicly. And when he does so, he must declare that repentance to those that he has offended. And as the offended party receives that repentance, they are to be reconciled to that brother and in love to receive him. And in my own life, I know that it is here that I often fall down. If someone has wounded me, I always find it incredibly difficult to move on from it. Perhaps I have forgiven that person and perhaps I do forget about that situation but sometimes I really struggle to trust that individual again. Here, the plain teaching of Scripture tells me that if my brother turns to me seven times in a day saying, I repent, I must forgive him. And indeed, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 8, I am to reaffirm my love for that individual. How many times have we done this in our own lives? It is incredibly difficult. I would much rather repent privately and be done with it than to follow the teaching of the divines of my confession which teaches us what scripture has said on this issue. And yet it is essential. It is essential that we repent generally and particularly. And it is essential that we repent privately and also publicly. And it is essential that if we are the wounded party that we forgive, we move on that we receive that brother with reconciliation and reaffirmation. Difficult teaching, indeed, and things that I am sure many of us struggle with. This teaching goes against our sinful natures, where perhaps if we are wounded, the approach we take is to hit back. Or if we receive an apology, we may accept it with our fingers crossed behind our backs, vowing in the depths of our hearts, that we will wait for our time to get one back on this person. But this is not the way it should be. If we scandalise our brother or the church, then we must repent of it. We must seek reconciliation with our brother, with the church, and the wounded party must always be prepared to receive the one who has wounded them. Even as I say these things, I can think of numerous situations and numerous individuals who have wounded me, and I am sure you are the same. Terrible things perhaps have been done against you. Awful words have been spoken about you. And every bone in your body says, perhaps I will never forgive. My friends, if this is the attitude of our hearts, then may God have mercy upon us. May we repent particularly for this particular sin. And as we repent and forsake that sin, then may we return on to Jesus And may we remember that we are to forgive as he has forgiven us. No one here has got clean hands. In these days of washing our hands endlessly to protect ourselves from coronavirus, no one before the Lord has clean hands. It was for our sake that he died a sinner's death. It was for our justification that he rose again from the dead. And so we are to forgive just as we have been forgiven. Repentance is many things. It is particular and it is general. It is private and it is public. 
But I think the teaching of these paragraphs and indeed this chapter shows us that it is never light, it is never frivolous, and more often than not, it is never easy. But it is as we have already heard today in Proverbs 28 and verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Thanks be to God today for his grace upon grace. As we finish today, here are four questions for you to consider. Question 1. What is the difference between general and particular repentance? And which one is more important? Question 2. When is public repentance necessary? Question 3. What actions should be carried out by the one who has wounded his brother or scandalised the church? And question 4. What responsibilities are placed on the wounded party? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn. And until next time, this we confess. (laughs) 